Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order, their entire selection of products and protein bars. At tonight's episode, we are going to be talking a little bit about some stuff that I saw on Twitter talking about potential targets for the Jets to replace their second line center issue. And we'll also talk about a couple of games that are currently either over or are still underway and potentially end up resolving by the time we actually get to covering that segment because we are actually in Game 7 territory. We've got a couple of Game 7s on tap for tonight, and we have one tomorrow as well between the Islanders and Flyers, but the ones that are on this side of things, they're all very interesting because they're Western Conference teams, and I think that there are some surprises that I don't think anyone expected. But first things first, Winnipeg has a 2C problem, and of course this is a Jets podcast, so I'd be remiss in not talking about some of the stuff that I saw on Twitter today from a couple of hockey writers talking about Anthony Sorelli. Anthony Sorelli is a guy who's an RFA, and he has the eligibility for being offersheeted by the Jets, although I think most people know that offersheeting in the NHL is one of those situations where people don't really do it. You know, NHL GMs and administrations, for the most part, seem to have an understanding that they don't do it because it puts a lot of pressure on both parties. The team that has to match the offer sheet, you know, while they do preserve the player that they'd like to sign, that contract price is probably significantly higher than what they were expecting. Now, I think it's important to remember that not all offer sheets are, I guess, created the same way. You know, if you offer sheet at a much higher salary, which would involve higher pick compensation, that's not exactly a clear win, especially if the team that currently has the rights to the player doesn't actually decide to match. You would end up getting pinned with a big salary and quite a few lost prospects uh, because you have to surrender a number of picks in compensation for the salary range. What this could do is put the Lightning under a lot of pressure to find a, a trade out, and then in this case, I think Winnipeg actually has the assets to make that kind of acquisition because Sorelli needs a big raise. He's a phenomenal two-way center. He's also a very good scorer in his, in his own right. He's in his prime. He's young, and I think that he fits the exact kind of mold that the Jets are looking for. He has incredibly positive shot differentials, both in the defensive zone and in the offensive zone. I mean, he's like a really plus player in almost every zone of the ice. He skates well, he has a high work ethic and a relentless engine, which I think definitely shows in the way that he plays, and I think that that visual confirmation is important for a guy like Paul Maurice. Maurice is not somebody who I think considers a lot of the data analysis necessarily, in the sense that, you know, he, he kind of likes guys who look like they're really putting in a lot of work. You know, I think that's why Kyle Connor, especially technique-wise, always looks appealing visually. Connor is one of those guys who can skate like the wind. He's constantly active, constantly moving, and looking for space. But the thing is, you know, whether or not that space that you're actually getting him into is the most productive use is, is kind of a different question. From Maurice's perspective, though, Connor is beloved and does everything that he asks him to, which, you know, is a little bit frightening for me because I feel like he's not actually having the kind of impact Maurice thinks he does, but, you know, it is what it is. At least Connor scores lots of pretty goals. As far as what Sorelli would do for this team, I think that he immediately stabilizes your top six. He gives you a really good two-way transition player, as well as somebody who has a really good and underrated release, very good passing and vision, strong edge work, and just generally strong possession on, on the puck. His puck savvy would also start to open up guys like Patrick Laine a lot more, which I think is a very important thing, because right now Laine, in my opinion, is very underutilized. I think that what Laine has done to develop his game, in part because he's been forced to, is certainly positive overall, but I think that what we're seeing with him 
is that that lethal shot that he has really isn't getting used in the way that it needs to be. A guy called JFresh on Twitter actually did a, a deeper dive into some of the defensive metrics, uh, transition metrics, and offensive totals from Patrick Liney's past couple of seasons, and he found the same kinds of trends that I think most of us have seen over the past few years. Liney definitely is not a, uh, a third defenseman on the ice. He's not really somebody that I would trust in the defensive zone just because while he does actually seem to know where he needs to be and tries to get there, his body doesn't always allow him to, and he's definitely a bit flimsy along the walls. It's something that he's absolutely worked to improve, but obviously I think everyone knows that he kind of handles the puck a little bit like a hand grenade, especially when when he's under pressure and trying to pressure an opposing puck carrier as well. Sorelli would actually help uh, you know, with a lot of puck retrieval issues and probably get Line A going a little bit more, and I think he might also be capable of carrying someone like Kyle Connor. Sorelli has excellent positional awareness, knows where he needs to be at all times, and actually gets himself to those positions and often uses himself as a, a bit of an outlet for his teammates and can be just a, a bit of a safe passage. That he's also a very gifted attacker who seems capable of scoring 60 to 70 points easily with the kind of talent he'll have on his wings, I just think makes him a really complete package. He's a great two-way forward, he'll have great offensive impact, he can be trusted with pretty much any situation you want him in, whether it's on the PK, at even strength, or even on the power play. I think that he is exactly what you want, and he's the kind of player the Jets should be targeting, but I think my concern is that somebody else is going to beat the Jets to the punch, and it's going to be difficult to get him out of out of Tampa Bay. You're going to have to be pay, willing to pay a bit of a king's ransom, and I'm not sure if the Jets are going to feel comfortable with that. In my opinion, I think Winnipeg needs to think a little bit more ambitiously than what they've done in the past. You know, I'm not really looking for guys who are, are placeholders. I know somebody commented on one of my last podcasts that Trocek and, and Pesci for Line a would not be a great trade, or I think the, the wording was atrocious or something like that. But, you know, I, I think it's actually okay value. It's just not the kind of trade that I think... It's not the one that I prefer. I, I want something that involves Anthony Sorelli or a guy like Yanni Gord. Tampa Bay has so many different players, and they're about to be caps draft, and I think that you could get somebody like Sorelli within reason if you can get that deal going and actually force Tampa Bay to give you something decent because they're basically in cap hell and Sorelli needs a huge raise, maybe that works out. I don't really want somebody like Sergachev. I think Sergachev doesn't really have the kind of on-ice impact that people suspect he does. He's definitely capable of being a good puck-carrying offensive defenseman, but as far as the rest of his game is concerned, he doesn't really have a strong defensive impact. I don't think that his positioning in the D zone is something that would really translate to the way the Jets play, and he's going to be looking for something like 6 or $7 million, which I'm just not really feeling at all. So Sorelli would be my, my main preference... If, if the Jets can find a way to get Gord for cheap, I'm also down with that. But Tony C is really a fix for so many of Winnipeg's key problems, at least on paper. Had an interesting Twitter conversation today that maybe some of the personnel lineup decisions and coaching management issues were actually to blame for Winnipeg's misfortunes on the ice. And while I do think that the lineups are certainly not ideal right now, I don't think that it's the only thing that's wrong with the Jets. I do think Winnipeg has a couple of key gaps that they need to fill. Not not too many, but uh, obviously a, a second-line center who can be a play driver is one big one. The defense, I think, is going to sort itself out with the arrival of guys like Heinola, Sandberg, and a few other prospects, but certainly that, that middle six and top six need the kind of depth that the Jets used to have when they were a cup contender. You fix those elements and you get Maurice back to the kind of comfort level where he's having the team play like it did in 2017-2018, I think a lot of the angst and anxiety goes away. 
Winnipeg will start to play more responsible hockey. They'll actually create offensive opportunities. And maybe we see a return of good Kyle Connor, good Mark Shifley, good Blake Wheeler. You know, the list goes on and on. I mean, there are so many players who have regressed over the past couple of seasons. We really need to see these guys return to form and bring their A game. Speaking of bringing A games, we are going to talk about the elimination game between the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche in just a short bit. But before then, I wanted to tell you a bit about Built Bar, who have brought their A game and relaunching the Built Bar protein bar family with a new and improved recipe. In addition to the same great tasting flavors you know and love, six new flavors join the roster, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. If you've never had a Built Bar, it's like a candy bar, coated in dark chocolate and with a soft, chewy interior, but comes with none of the guilt. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber, so they're perfect for weight maintenance, weight loss, and keto diets. Your average Built Bar comes in at under 200 calories and has anywhere from 15 to 18 grams of protein with only 4 or 5 net carbs. Right now, you can get $10 off your next order using promo code LOCKEDON when you place an order at BuiltBar.com. If you can't decide on a flavor, take a couple of recommendations from me and give the mint, brownie, and raspberry flavors a try. They also offer sampler boxes, so if you can't pick just one flavor, try them all. And again, don't forget to use promo code LOCKEDON when you check out at BuiltBar.com to get $10 off your next order. Those of you who follow me on my personal Twitter probably know that I actually like comic books, anime, TV, movies, all sorts of like fun nerd culture and pop media, cult indie hits, all that fun stuff. But one thing that I always find is missing is stuff with a local focus. You know, I'm from Baltimore, so whenever I see something from Baltimore, whether it's produced here, set here, yada, 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 I'm always really interested. I don't want to hear about The Wire because Baltimore has so much more to offer, so it's always cool when somebody brings me something new. For those of you who live in Winnipeg and want a comic that actually features something from Winnipeg, you should pay yourstory.ca a visit and check out their entire lineup of comic books, games, and movies. Your Story Transmedia is a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in the Winnipeg area. They're currently underway launching a brand new lineup of comics, including their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. It's Mad Men meets X-Files meets Sin City, and I love it. It has the gritty, noir, hard-boiled cop story fused with a lot of supernatural elements. You can find the ebook on yourstory.ca for a buck ninety-nine, as well as a limited print, first edition, 8.5 by 11 magazine-style comic print of The River Knows for eleven ninety-nine. If you're in to gaming, be sure to check out their upcoming game, Alien Machine Glow, which focuses on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the power to see aliens. You can learn more about Alien Machine Glow, as well as Your Story's other comic books and media properties, by heading over to yourstory.ca, and when you place an order, be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets show. We're about to start talking a little bit about weekend elimination hockey, which I think we all agree is some of the most entertaining hockey, especially when we're heading into a bit of a holiday break. Few games get you quite as amped as a, a Game 7, and nothing is quite as intense as knowing that your entire season really is on the line, riding on this one moment where a single mistake can really cost you. These bubble playoffs have been nothing but chaos, and I think quite a few surprise results have emerged. And one of the surprise results that first came out is that the Colorado Avalanche have been eliminated by the Dallas Stars. Now, this was a bit of a topsy-turvy series. Dallas has been fairly good throughout most of the postseason, with a couple of exceptions. There were a few games where they basically forgot that they were supposed to play professional hockey and didn't really show up, right? So that wasn't ideal, and, you know, despite having a 3-1 series lead early on and, and, and really commanding the series, Dallas ended up giving up a couple of games and gave Colorado a real shot at pulling this one off a a really amazing comeback. And Colorado, to its credit, actually put in a really good effort tonight, but unfortunately for the Avs, they just couldn't seem to solve that last goal that has consistently eluded them. 
tonight was a really seesaw back and forth game where I thought the Avs were actually going to come out on top. But every time Colorado seemed to get just a little bit of, I guess, a bit of a gap, the Stars were able to find an answer of some sort and keep the game close or eventually tie it and force overtime. In Colorado's defense, I think that this series has taken a serious toll on them. They've lost Eric Johnson, Philip Grubauer. I think Pavel Fensos was out of the uh, lineup after playing a couple of games. They lost Connor Timmins and Gabriel Landeskog yesterday. And, you know, obviously with back-to-backs, there's a lot of pressure. And I think that this is just a series that ultimately got away from the Avs. They've had a bit of a crazy season because they've been so good, but the lows have come from these mistakes, from injuries, and just a lack of focus. When Colorado is rolling at 100%, that team is absolutely a, a thing to behold. I mean, they're they're not far off from being as good as the Vegas Golden Knights, although I think, of course, that the Knights have a little bit better depth and just overall play a, a faster and better, more well-rounded game, I guess. You know, the Knights are just dominant in most respects. But I think in all, all fairness to the Avs, I mean, they put together a number of really strong performances in which despite playing really well, they just could not get that one last save and that extra goal opportunity to get them ahead. The bounces and the injuries ended up falling Dallas's way, and I feel like Colorado is going to be very frustrated with how the series ended. They came pretty close to, to pulling off a bit of a cup run, but they just couldn't quite get everything together, and I think that this series against the Stars basically torpedoed their chances. Dallas getting a, a 3-1 series lead early definitely put the Avs in a bit of an uncomfortable position of having to play catch-up, and they actually did a pretty good job. I thought that Colorado, you know, they, they pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and, and really put on a good show. But the amount of injuries that they've suffered, and I just think the general mistakes that they made, they weren't able to compensate enough, and I think that that ended up kind of sinking their chances. And it's crazy to think because Colorado was one of the teams that I had pegged as being a Stanley Cup contender. You know, going forward, I think that they have a pretty bright future, and I think that there's a lot on that team that if you make a couple of tweaks, you're going to see some really great returns in the next couple of seasons. But, and I I said this on an unrelated Twitter thread earlier, you know, they were talking about the Vancouver Canucks, who we'll actually address in in the next segment, but like the Canucks, you know, Colorado has very few cup opportunities, right? You think about how often these chances come where you have an opportunity to make a deep run and, and how often the stars align for you, pun intended if you're Dallas. You know, those opportunities are so few and so rare. And what I say is that when you talk about things like tomorrow is not promised, it doesn't just mean your life is, is always at risk. It also means that opportunities that you're, you're being blessed with only come around once in a while. And in few things is that truer than for stuff like a Stanley Cup run, which I think both Colorado and Vegas are keenly aware of. Vancouver also knows it, but the Canucks have a lot of other issues long-term that neither of these teams do. You know, the urgency to ride Demko to to glory is going to be a lot higher for the Canucks, who have a very not great cap situation going forward. By the same token, I think Colorado is going to really feel like this is a missed opportunity, and all credit to the Dallas Stars who had a pretty good playoff run, but I think that the Avs can definitely feel like they just did not get the bounces that they needed, and they're going to be very frustrated with the outcome. There's no guarantee that they're going to be able to make the cup again, you know, make the dance even, and we've all seen how quickly the Jets basically collapsed after the 2017-2018 run. You know, Colorado's probably not going to suffer the same fate, but you always worry if you're a fan of that team. Dallas has its own work cut out for it, regardless of whether or not it gets Vegas or the Vancouver Canucks, because if they get Vegas, they get one of the best teams in the NHL, especially at creating lots of even-strength offense. And if they get Vancouver, they're going to have to contend with some really talented rookies, including the guy who's apparently even stronger than the Northern Wall in Game of Thrones, you know, Thatcher Demko. I mean, he's just doing absolutely insane bat crap stuff, but I won't spoil it yet. I'll tell you a little bit about that game in just a bit. 
But, you know, I, I think when you think about Colorado's opportunities, this is going to feel like a missed one, and that's that's something that's going to stick with them. Dallas has a, a bit of a date with Destiny in their next series, and Colorado has a long offseason to figure out whether or not their date with Destiny was canceled prematurely. Closing us out tonight, we are going to wrap up our uh, round two playoff coverage with a brief discussion about what happened between Vancouver and Vegas, and like a lot of the games in this series, Vegas basically ran over the Canucks, but Vancouver did its best to try and stay afloat to the very end. Unfortunately, unlike the other games, Vancouver could not make a single offensive opportunity that went past Robin Lerner. They had like 15 or 16 total shots all game, maybe a few more in extra time once they pulled the goalie, but it was just, it really was one-way traffic almost the entire series, and you could tell that Vegas basically ran the show, and, and Vancouver was along for the ride, but you you have to really, really respect Thatcher Demko's performance, especially coming on in relief of Jacob Markstrom and doing what he just did. He came this close to knocking out one of the Stanley Cup favorites in, in a performance that I think is going to be one of the top 10 goaltending performances you'll ever see. The sheer quality of saves that Demko made tonight and the sheer volume of saves that he made is just absolutely insane. You know, you might look at the shot clock and think, oh, you know, he saved less than 40 shots. It wasn't that great. But when you look at the danger of those shots and just how much traffic, well, the, the, the release angles, the amount of increased chaos, I'm just in awe of how Demko managed to keep it scoreless for almost the entire game. You know, the only blemish was a power play goal from Shea Theodore that he had zero chance on. Short of scoring a goal himself, there was not one more thing that Demko could do to keep Vancouver in this game more than he already did. He laid it all out on the line. He had one of the best goaltending performances I've ever seen in my entire life, and it just came up short. The result is fair, though, because I think Vancouver was definitely the second-best team, and schedule be darned, you know. Their team just isn't built as deep, and it's not as good. There's definitely some uh, pieces there that weren't really capable of performing. They were all very much gassed after playing a ton of hockey over the past couple of weeks. And the Knights are just a Stanley Cup favorite for a reason. I mean, that team is deeper at almost every position. They play incredibly high-tempo hockey. And even when they're struggling to finish, they were able to create tons of offensive opportunities, and the only thing standing between them and winning like 10 nothing was Thatcher Demko. When Stone came up through the handshake line, he just kind of you know looked at Demko and shook his head because that's all he could do. All he could do was shake his head, offer a few words of encouragement, and say that that was like the most insane performance he'd ever seen, and tip his cap to a goalie who almost stole a series for Vancouver. And I think that that is just... Really, all that needs to be said about what Demko did for this team. He's got such a bright future. Vancouver is in good hands with him. And really, they're going to have to lean on him going forward because the team is probably going to have some issues. I I think that their long-term picture was always going to be problematic no matter what. But they desperately needed to get to the Stanley Cup Finals in this year because, you know, the rest of the seasons going forward are probably going to be leaner. The mistakes the Canucks made are going to eventually haunt them, but for now, you know, they're just going to have to sort of plan for next year, see what happens, and trust that Demko can can really elevate the team to another playoff tier. They've got some prospects that are stewing that might come over, and they can get a good look and see where they are developmentally speaking, but I think that ultimately they're going to have to do what the Jets do and rely on their goaltender to really carry them. With that, Vancouver is now out, and uh, that is the last of the Canadian team, so... 
we now have a Dallas-Vegas Western Conference Finals with the Eastern Conference Final to be decided tomorrow. So stay tuned. You'll hear about that uh, probably early next week as, as to what's going to happen as well as the schedule, probably some early game recaps. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National Podcast hosted by Sarah Avampado. Thanks so much. Have a great night, and go Jets go.